I'm Philippa Tolley and welcome to The Long Read from Stuff. This week's story was originally published in the Sunday Star Times and is called National Treasure, Kim Hill. It's written by senior journalist Adam Dudding and is a feature on broadcaster Kim Hill. Hill is well known for her many years of service at RNZ and her fearless interviewing style. She left her Saturday morning slot in November 2023 after 21 years in the role. Now, here is Adam Dudding reading his story, National Treasure, Kim Hill. A couple of Thursdays ago, at a book launch in Parnell, Auckland, a publisher took the mic and shared a small boast with the assembled cheese nibblers and wine sippers. She could reveal that the book's co-authors had been confirmed as guests on one of Kim Hill's final Saturday morning shows on RNZ. An audible ooh passed through the room. It was an ooh that saluted the unit-shifting significance of a book getting attention from New Zealand's most consequential bibliophile. An ooh that acknowledged the sheer mana of Hill's name, but also the sadness of her imminent departure. Her very last show was on November the 25th, 2023. It was also, probably, the sound of everyone fearing a little for the co-authors. It's Kim Hill. She'll eat them alive. A few days after that, Kim Hill came into Stuff's Auckland office with her dog Walter for an end of an era interview with the Sunday Star Times. Hill lives and works in Wellington, but her daughter, who lives in Auckland, has just given birth to a second child, so Hill, plus Walter, have temporarily moved north on grandmotherly duties. Her last few Saturday mornings are being recorded at RNZ's Auckland studios. Once we're up to speed on Walter, seven years old, poodle terrier cross, walks with a limp, but Hill thinks he's putting it on, masses of white curly hair just like his owner, and on the new grandchild... Four days old, a girl, infinitely watchable because she does all that newborn mumbling and giggling and wriggling. I tell Hill about that ooh I'd heard at the book launch and how I'd wager there isn't another local broadcaster whose name would have caused quite that reaction. And I ask her how she feels about the icon status she's earned for herself. Is it pleasing? Is it mortifying? Something else? She prefaces her answer with one of those long, complex, Kim Hill is thinking sounds that would be familiar to any Saturday morning listener. In this case, it's a five-note descending melody that starts as a high hum and ends as a big, growly puff of air. Then she says, I just feel like I've been around for so long. I've got the patina of age, and that gives one the icon status. This is patently incorrect. Yes, Hill is 68, and that's part of the reason she's bowing out of the prime RNZ spot she's occupied for two decades. But there are plenty of examples of broadcasters who have grown into old codgerhood without becoming iconic. I try a different tack. Does she find the iconic thing embarrassing? Yes, she does. Because it doesn't feel like me, she says. It's somebody over there that's Kim Hill and is the national treasure. I mean... People call me a national treasure and I think, it makes me sound half dead, doesn't it? It sounds like somebody's dug me up and discovered me. I never feel quite grown up enough for that. When Hill was interviewing the Australian feminist Clementine Ford earlier this month, Ford suddenly interrupted her own disquisition on the unequal distribution of domestic labour with a sneeze. 
Bless you, said Hill. Ford tried to get back to her point about the lameness of men, but was derailed by another sneeze. Hill seemed delighted. I do not believe that anybody has ever sneezed during an on-air interview that I've ever done in my 570-year career, she said. So well done. It's heartening that radio still offers Hill novel experiences, but apart from rogue sneezes, have her Saturdays ever felt like Groundhog Day? All those chats with people flogging a new book or explaining science or Roman history or climate change or telling a tale of personal tragedy or triumph or ruminating about Gaza or MMP or the economics of pistachios. No, says Hill, there's no groundhog. The prep can get irksome at times. Oh my God, I've got another book to read, she says. But the studio is my happy place and I love it. There is never anybody that I'm bored talking to. Who's been her favourite producer? Well, Chris Burke I always loved, she says, because I inherited him from John Campbell, on Saturday morning this was, and I thought, I hope Chris is going to stay because I don't know what I'm doing. Favourite Prime Minister? It's got to be Longy. I adored David Longy. Nightmare of a politician, should never have taken up politics, she says, terrible business, but I loved him. He was clever and vulnerable and all that stuff that women love. Funny. Oh, God. It's not all been blissful. Hill tells the story of a long-ago feud that led to her taking an extremely minor revenge many years later. Then laughs. You can tell I don't hold a grudge. Whatever. How many grudges does she actually hold? She looks heavenwards and counts them on her fingers. Maybe five? Are any of them worth getting on the record right now? No. A consistent highlight of Saturday morning has been when Hill reads out incoming emails and texts, then dunks on the dumb ones, sometimes deploying nothing more than a pained sigh. She reads them out because they amuse her, but she does wonder sometimes why anyone would go to the effort of picking up their phone just to text, I hate this music, or this is a really boring interview. All the same, She'll miss these one-sided encounters. Because it's the perfect relationship, she says. You're going to have a little chat, and then you go away, and you don't have to send them Christmas cards. She realises her jesting might sound snarky, and clarifies. Some of them are lovely. I've got really lovely emails from people who say, you've been part of my life, and blah, blah, blah. And I just think, oh, wow, that, that brings me up. When I'm dissing myself, I don't want to diss them. I think you're conflating a whole bunch of issues. You don't want to be held to account well, no, on I, I, rising child no, abuse numbers. You can manipulate crime statistics. I, I promised I wouldn't have a tattoo about gotcha journalism. Hang into the National Party's no, attack line there. That, that, I think that it would be a resignation offence if I didn't deliver tax reduction. Yeah, yeah, yeah we're, I'm not worried about it at all. Nothing iffy in there. That sits with you perfectly fine. That's what, we're, that's what we're focused on. Whatever happens in politics, the weird, the wonderful, the important, the thought-provoking, we got you. Listen to Tova wherever you get your podcasts. Kim Hill was born in 1955 and grew up in leafy Shropshire, a rural county sandwiched between the Midlands and the Welsh border. Her Irish father was a livestock vet, her Scottish mother was a physio and nurse. The family moved to New Zealand when Kim was 15 after a foot and mouth epidemic curtailed her father's work. There was a year of culture shock in Ōturahanga, then the family moved to Stratford. Her father was an alcoholic. Six years after their arrival, says Hill, he drank himself to death. Were they close? Well, he was always at the pub. 
Other people liked him. He was charming and the life and soul of the party once he'd had a few drinks, but I didn't have any relationship with him. Did his boozing ever make her anxious about her own boozing? Oh yeah. Does she drink now? I don't not drink, but I don't drink much. Hill did a BA in French and German, then had some odd jobs, including bar work and a six-month stint as a masseuse. Does she recall what kind of massage it was? After all, there's Thai and there's Swedish. Hill shrugs. Basic massage? It was called the Select Lounge. Okay, I say, that sounds dodgy. I know, but it really wasn't, she clarifies. They offered topless massage, so when I think about it now, it was weird, but topless massage was as sexy as it got, and given that we were in small, curtained cubicles, if there had been something untoward going on, I would have known about it. So, honestly, it was straight ass. By then, her father had lost his job and his health, and her parents had moved to Tairua on the Coromandel Peninsula. Her mother urged her to quit massaging and come work at a pub in Tairua, so she did. I ask if her mother is still alive, or... Dead, says Hill. That was about 30 years ago. Then she repeats the word... Dead, giving it grand theatrical emphasis, almost like she's Lady Bracknell saying, A handbag! It's quite peculiar. Anyway, while working at the pub, Hill applied to train as a librarian and didn't get in, then applied for the Canterbury post-grad journalism course, and she was away. First job after graduation was for RNZ in Gisborne, then the Nelson Evening Mail because I thought I wasn't a real journalist unless I'd done some print, she says. Then, newspapers in the UK, and radio and newspapers in Australia. After pitching up in Wellington, she started reporting on RNZ's Checkpoint, which led to co-hosting Morning Report, then hosting 9 to Noon from 1993, then Saturday Morning from 2002. There was occasional TV along the way as well, reporting for Fair Go, and three seasons of the single interview show Face to Face with Kim Hill, best remembered for an encounter with John Pilger that wasn't so much car crash viewing as a multi-vehicle autobahn pile-up. Morning Report, alongside Jeff Robinson, was her first serious go at presenting live radio, and she says she found it terrifying at first. During one early interview, she did the standard broadcast thing of keeping quiet, but using encouraging body language to keep a guest talking. She says... Afterwards, Jeff said to me, if you'd nodded any more, your head would have fallen off. He was a cruel man. Now, there's a revelation. Was cuddly Jeff Robinson actually cruel? No, says Hill, still deadpan. He was not. In fairness, Robinson, there is something hyperactive about Kim Hill. It was there if you watched her TV interview show, the pen twirling, paper shuffling and arm waving, the expressive hands and the huge facial expressions that verged on gurning. She's similarly mobile while talking today, including her feet. I know this because photographer Abigail Doherty couldn't find us and started peeking through the glass at the bottom of meeting room doors and later tells me she saw Hill's feet jiggling on the floor like something out of Riverdance moving so fast they were a blur. I think there's a connection between this bodily restlessness and impulsivity and the way Hill does radio. It's there in the verbal tics, the pfft and the ha and the yep, 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 and in those hums and stammers that often precede questions. 
Most importantly, it's there in the way she navigates her interviews. More than any other broadcaster, Hill is always very obviously listening closely to what's being said and reacting hard and fast, chasing a tangent or querying an inconsistency or blurting out a joke without waiting to see if it lands. I wonder too if this same impulsivity was the cause of that curious moment when I asked about her mother and she was seized by an urge to say the word dead in unusual ways. I ask her if she has a clear idea, at a technical level, about what has made her such an effective interviewer. No, I do not, she says. The only thing I know I do is that I do a lot of prep. Famously, that means loads of reading. Then, for each interview, she fills a double-page spread of large-format hardback notebook with scrawled notes, plus an extra loose leaf if it's an extra-long interview. Questions aren't written down, though. Those come to her on the fly. She has wondered what it would be like to abandon her research safety net. She says, My fantasy is for somebody to be wheeled into the studio or put on the line, and I say, so who are you? And they say, I'm this, and I do that, and running an interview off that. I think that would be really interesting, just a complete mystery person, and it's the first you know of them, the whole blind man's buff thing of finding out who they are. This sounds like a perfect podcast for 2024 to me. Kim Hill's Mystery Caller. I'd listen to that. For now, 2024 in general appears to be a mystery to Hill. When her departure was announced, RNZ boss Paul Thompson was quoted saying, Kim is working with us on some ideas. So what was that about? I know nothing, says Hill. She says the plan hasn't really gone beyond let's talk. How will she keep her big brain occupied for the next few years without a Saturday show? I don't know. Maybe my brain doesn't need to be occupied. Maybe, in the absence of talking on the radio, I don't need to think about anything. She is a huge fan of the literature podcast Backlisted, which she describes as just two booky blokes with guests. So maybe she'd fancy making a podcast like that. But then, as she says, that's being done, so why bother? Does she have any thoughts about who should take over the Saturday morning slot? The answer starts diplomatically, then veers off. There are some very good candidates, none of whom I'll listen to because I'll just be consumed with jealousy, envy, insecurity. I'll think, oh shit, I wish I'd done that interview, I wish I'd got that person, I wish I'd asked that question. Interview over, I open the meeting room door. Walter abandons his water bowl and rockets past my feet no sign of a limp, and over to the distant end of the staff offices. In moments, Hill is far away too, chasing Walter and calling his name, while apologising to everyone she passes, in an entirely unapologetic way. That was National Treasure, Kim Hill, on the long read from Stuff, written and read by Adam Dudding, and produced by Jen Black. This episode was edited by Connor Scott. If you listen via our website, you can hear this story and more like it on the Long Read podcast, available on all the usual platforms. If you follow the podcast, you'll get the latest episode automatically. This story was made possible by subscribers to The Post. If you want to support more beautifully told New Zealand stories, go to thepost.co.nz. Thanks for listening. Ka kite anō. If you like this podcast, please support our work. 
visit stuff.co.nz support. Prepare for an unfiltered journey through the harsh realities of infertility. My name's Nadine Higgins. I'm a broadcaster, a journalist, and I've been trying to make a baby with my husband. That's me. I'm Dan. And we reckon infertility is lonely enough without making it a dirty little secret. In The Human Race with Dan and Nadine Higgins, we share raw and unvarnished stories of couples who have faced the brutal truth of infertility. Unless you've been in it, it's, it's really tough and really lonely. Yeah, and also, this is really weird, but baby showers, you don't need to open the presents in front of everyone. Confronting the harsh reality that not every story has a happy ending. This very blunt, abrasive doctor who I had, you know, had not seen before, who delivered the news, just like, you'll probably never have a natural period again and you'll probably never have a baby. The Human Race, where we share the untold stories of couples in the race of their lives to create a life. I feel like I nearly missed out and I got to do it. And so I feel really lucky. So it's been incredibly positive. Listen today at stuff.co.nz slash the human race or wherever you get your podcasts. The Human Race is proudly brought to you by Elevate.